Okay, we're ready to go. And, and good morning, everybody, and welcome. I'm E.J. McMahon, founding senior fellow of the Empire Center. I want to welcome you to this conversation about uh, Governor Hochul's State of the State address yesterday. This is a special edition of uh, the Empire Center's podcast, um, Messages of Necessity. And the message in question today, though, is the message with a capital M, which is the annual message of the governor to the legislature, which is actually required by the Constitution. And uh, starting in the 1920s under Al Smith, it became a speech, kind of along the same pattern as the National State of the Union. So this was the second such speech by Governor Hochul since she took office, the first since she was elected to a full term. And um, suffice to say, it was it, it, this, is the, this is the place where a governor is supposed to give you a sense of his or her vision for the state and what the agenda and the, and the program is going to be in the years ahead. So to discuss what she said and their implications and uh, what was what was there and what was missing, I'm joined by uh, several of the top experts here at the Empire Center, uh, Bill Hammond, the Senior Fellow for Health Policy, Peter Warren, the Research Director, uh, James Hanley, our Fellow for Energy Policy, and Cam McDonald, who in addition to helping out being an adjunct uh, on, on research on several key issues is Executive Director of the Government Justice Center as well. We're going to be talking about some of the key aspects of, of this speech. I guess to start with Peter, start with you. Um, so the, one of the, the overview of any state of the state begin, usually begins with talking about economic, broad economic and demographic forces shaping the state and how the governor sees them and, and what she intends to do about them. What, what did we hear from Kathy Hochul yesterday about this? Well, thanks, EJ. Um, and as you mentioned, it, it's it's Governor Hochul is tasked by the Constitution to deliver the state of the state. But in a sense, the real verdict on the state of the state, the real opinion that matters is is the residents of the state. And what they're saying, the state of the state is um, their their commentary is that they're leaving. And they're as as you pointed out, um, highlighting demographic data from the census and elsewhere. We used to talk about how. Uh, a million people over in over a decade had been lost to net out migration. And now just in the past two years alone, um, it's about two thirds of a million. So that, that's all been accelerated during the pandemic. Um, to her credit, um, the governor did does recognize this in her state of the state address and the outset. She 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 definitely does not try and avoid the issue, doesn't try and skirt the issue. She, she says it's real, it's a concern. Um, Unfortunately, once you look at the rest of the address and, and even going through the entire State of the Union, uh, sorry, State of the State book, as we all did, there's there's precious little in her address or in the book that actually um, would incentivize those who are considering leaving to stay here in the state. Um, I, and I, I should mention, by the way, that there's a, a custom in Albany that's been in place for decades is there's a speech one way or the other with a speech text. Although actually, Andrew Cuomo had turned it into a, a PowerPoint slide deck. It was kind of in this interlude we had the last 10 years. But customarily there's a speech and there's also what they call the book, which mm -hmm. is uh, essentially more rhetoric and some details of everything the governor says in the speech, 
laid out in, in this case, uh, over 150 or so uh, widely spaced, large font, big margin pages. So it's about this thick. Um, and yes, and the, the book is where the details are supposed to be. But there were no details about how we're, she acknowledged that we're losing people. But there wasn't a particular pointed uh, policy to keep people, or was there? Anything? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of policies, obviously, in there. As you say, the book it's 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 several hundred pages. It's organized thematically. In a sense, it's 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 a it's a prelude to the budget, which right. will be coming out soon. And there is there are dozens and dozens of different items referenced. Right. At some point, those items will be you know will be crosswalked into a budget. There's a lot of spending there's a lot of new programs new items um but there's not enough information to actually quantify exactly how much spending there is and and you know but but there's enough in there to give you an indication um you know it's gonna it, it tells some things about the upcoming budget because well start with the issue that is year in and year out is always top of the top of mind even if a governor doesn't want it to be or put it there education what sure. does she have to say about education in New York? And, and, and as we know, education is one of the, along with healthcare, um, is 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 one of the two big elements of the right. budget. Right. Um, and with with respect to education, in terms of what's going on overarching, again, we just talked about out migration, and one corollary to that is there's a, there's an out migration from the schools. Right. Um, the schools over again, there there had been a long, slow secular decline in enrollment over the last two years alone. Though we saw five percent decline in the past two years alone from the public schools, elementary, secondary. There's also been again long, slow secular decline from like the SUNY institutions the four-year schools, community college, and, and from CUNY, and that also accelerated um, over the last couple of years. So the question is, how is the governor going to address this situation? And you would think, okay, well, if enrollment is down, um, are we going to, does that mean we we need to spend less to, to, to spend the same amount per pupil? Or are we gonna sort of right-size the spending? Are there going to be qualitative changes in order to try and keep enrollment and, and to bring in new enrollment, for instance, by perhaps lifting the charter cap to provide more and Which better she said options? The campaign that she exactly. So so she certainly had an opening if she was going to do it. You would think she would have mentioned it in the state of the state. Did she do it? Or, uh, she she did not. She did not. Um, and so with respect to elementary and secondary end education, what she did is, again, she sort of doubled down. She had signaled before that she was going to increase foundation aid, which is the single biggest stream of education spending. And indeed, she proposes that she's going to increase it by $2.7 billion. That's a 13% increase in one year alone. A lot of that is, um, she had talked about doing that before, but we realized a little while ago it was going to cost an extra $800 million to do that due to inflation. And again, even though enrollment's declining, she still went ahead and did that. And then with respect to higher ed, um, there's, there's a new initiative she's proposing where state taxpayers would be kicking into the endowments of the university centers, the four university centers, providing like matching funds to whatever um whatever private donors kick in. So th this is a different new approach where instead of the legislature deciding how much and how 
you know, public funds are going to go to the higher ed institutions. It's just going to go into the endowment so the schools can spend it however they want to. So spend, spend, spend is, is kind of a, that's right. A, she she the bottom line is she she doesn't on she on education and, and in other areas as we'll get to, and, and she doesn't take this opportunity to sort of curtail spending in light of a possible recession coming and we have out year deficits projected. Instead, she actually proposes a bunch of new spending streams and all that is kind of frightening when we know that the legislature is going to take her budget as a first bid and they're only going to add to it. So we, we should get back to that recession issue or, or look ahead in a second. But uh, as you mentioned, education along with healthcare are the two biggest areas of the budget. In fact, they're over, I think they're over half of the state operating funds mm-hmm. budget together all by themselves. Bill, uh, you you had a, a comment yesterday that was in your in, in your the immediate reaction to the Empire Center. Also, I think it got a lot of attention on social media, which is um, uh, the main problem. Her health care plan for health care seems to be Governor Ockel's that she has no plan. Right? Uh, yeah. Could you could you get into that a little more and give us a little and how that relates to the actual background of public health of the health budget and Medicaid, for instance, in particular? I mean, I. As you said, Medicaid is one of the two biggest programs in the state budget, and so I expected her at least to address it. Traditionally, governors sort of set aside a piece of speech to talk about Medicaid. It's a bit of a chore in some cases. In this case, she just decided, no, I'm not going to talk about Medicaid at all. The word was not used. And now that's tired. And is that because Medicaid is kind of taking care of itself? And so why why pay attention to it? Or I mean, she she. She spoke about mental health. I should right. probably mention that. She made a big push on mental health. She's talking about thousands of new slots, hospital beds, group home beds, services. And that, I mean, that's a big deal because that plays into homelessness and it plays into crime and perceptions of public safety. So that that was an area that she did devote significant attention to. But the rest of the healthcare system, she devoted, I mean, almost literally zero attention and here's the thing. We have a nurses strike going on right, right. now. We have um, nursing homes and hospitals clamoring about dire shortages of workers. They're, in some cases, they're curtailing services and diverting ambulances. So that seems to be a problem we should be thinking about. The attorney general is suing nursing homes over flagrant abuse and neglect and fraud and exposing really pretty horrendous sounding conditions. None of that came up. Um, We also, like, our Medicaid costs have been skyrocketing in recent years, in part because of the public health emergency, which required states to keep people on their rolls even when their eligibility expired. That is going to end in at the end of March. Right, we got billions. Just to clarify, we got billions in extra federal aid for Medicaid. About three and a half billion dollars a year in extra federal aid. Conditioned on not. changing the program in any way that reduces and in effect allowing it to kind of balloon up right to 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 be larger than it usually is and congress just voted in december that that policy is going to end on march 31st so the The end of our fiscal year right the extra money is going to phase out and the state like every other state has the pretty significant chore of pruning its roles over the next 12 months. This is this is a a significant challenge for state government. Her her future budgets depend on successfully removing those people. She didn't even mention it. She didn't mention it. Not only did she not mention it in her speech, 
it wasn't addressed in the policy book. Yeah. So that's a big kind of blank spot in her agenda. Um, did she, and, and of course, we're also, we mentioned it, we're in the aftermath of this hugely unsettling, disruptive event, the pandemic. Uh, the state's response to it was was pretty sweeping and uh, you know, arguably heavy-handed in some respects. Uh, it was most associated with Governor Cuomo. There was a lot of controversy about nursing homes and, and about about the transferring of of, seeing, of of elderly people from hospitals back into nursing homes and spread it. Is it anything? Is there anything about that looking back? Does she have any? Does she have any plan for for learning lessons of that or addressing public health, the, the management of public health in the future? So, um, it's normal after a major disaster, and this is this is the biggest arguably the biggest disaster in state history right. by some measures. It's normal in the aftermath of a disaster to review your response, to see how it could be improved. And there are many ways in which our response could have been improved, uh, which is true of a lot of levels of government. It wasn't unique to New York. Right. Um, but nobody in Albany seems to want to do that. They they seem to view it as politically toxic. She has, to, to her credit, she has initiated a review by a consulting group. It's it's pretty contained and small scale. She didn't mention it during her speech. It doesn't seem to be any kind of high priority. Um, there was a mention in the book. She had this very ambitious, you know, I want to reshape our healthcare system. I want to make it evidence-based. I want to change how we pay for it. I want to change what kind of care is delivered. And I want to review what happened during the pandemic. And to do all that, here's my plan. I'm going to appoint a commission. Right. Um, it seemed very half-baked. And it was in the book and not the speech. It was in the she book. didn't talk about it. And it was I'm, in her supporting material. Like on the one hand, it sounded hugely ambitious to right. change literally everything about the healthcare system. But on the other hand, she didn't mention it during her speech and she's kicking it to a commission. Uh, uh, I, I like I don't know what to make of that. Actually. Well, that, that would bear watching and talking yeah. about perhaps. Uh, a third big area that she talked about, I would, which is always something everybody in Albany and political office seems to love to talk about these days, uh, James Hanley, was energy policy. She talked about energy policy, and it relates to some of the other areas she talked about. Could you give us, you know, some? Uh, where, how did, is, how is she following up on? This is a crucial year for whether to implement or not uh, aspects of the climate leadership and community protection act the clcpa is called which is this very overarching homo era policy that's with the ambitious zero emissions and clean energy uh goals did she get into how to what extent did she get into that and how, what are the implications of that for the other areas well for those who've been paying attention to the climate action council over the past several years um they recently in december finalize their scoping plan for uh, the, the guidebook for implementing the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. Uh, the scoping plan is not itself law, but it's supposed to implement, uh, it's supposed to be the, the guide for implementing the COCPA through statute and uh, uh, regulation. And reading between the lines, I'd say she's adopted the scoping plan lock, stock, and barrel. Um, and probably the most overarching kind of a jewel in the crown of that scoping plan is a proposal to have a cap and invest system uh, for greenhouse gas emissions, where we would set a cap for greenhouse gas emissions for the whole state 
And then businesses uh, would have to buy at auction allowances for emissions. Uh, and this would be done annually with the amount of emissions allowances reducing year over year to meet COCPA uh, goals. Uh, and the investment, the, the funds from those auctions then could be invested for a variety of purposes associated with the CSPA. Invested by who? Uh, by the state, uh, okay. primarily by state uh, bureaucracy. I'm, I would guess most likely by NYSERDA and the DEC. New York State so, Energy Research and Development, Development Authority. Authority. Yes. Um, and and uh, by the way, there was, I, she also, she seemed to be touching on an area of the CLCPA that we've heard legislative proposals. About. It was phrased oddly, and I want to ask you about it, which is, is she going to, is she doing her own version of outlawing gas and, and fossil fuel furnaces in new homes and other construction? Is yes, it, she she is, she has adopted uh, the Climate Action Council proposals uh, attacking this in multiple ways. One is to uh, pass legislation, the All Electric Buildings Act, although she yeah. didn't mention it by name, uh, to prohibit uh, gas hookups in new construction, to require all new construction to be uh, electric only, and then to transition current uh, homes to all electric by banning the sale of gas and propane furnaces, for example, um, uh, pushing everybody to transition to using heat pumps instead of uh, gas for heating. Um, a, a hugely ambitious plan to transition one to two million uh, buildings by 2030, which is only seven years away. Well, now that would have implications for another area we haven't discussed yet. Now, we asked Peter perhaps to talk about it also is she made a big deal about housing. In fact, she led with building, adding 800 thousand housing units. Yeah. But does this have implications for housing? I mean, uh, is any connection acknowledged in, in proposing that you can't have a conventional furnace? Uh, everything magically is going to be cheaper for the consumer. And where it's not cheaper for the consumer, the state's going to help fund it to make it cheaper for the consumer. So don't worry, EJ, uh, nobody's <laughs> actually going to be uh, having to pay through the nose for any of this. <laughs> I wish I'd known that before I got my sixteen thousand uh, dollar air heat pump uh, heating up. Uh, well, she also she also promises that uh, no low income New Yorker will have to pay more than six percent of their income for electricity. Um, so anything over that is going to fall uh, on other ratepayers or taxpayers. It's not clear which. Um, and as we electrify everything, and including electrifying vehicles, so that we're going to be charging uh, those at homes. Uh, the cost of that is presumably going to continue to increase the cost that's that's dumped on either other ratepayers or taxpayers. Uh, but she didn't give any kind of estimate for how much that might cost. Well, before so there's a lot of there's some other specifics to touch on, but I wanted to, in general, while acknowledging some positives here, I'm just wondering, are, are there any other there's a lot of negatives, I think, <laughs> safe to say, or missing pieces and with large gaps in this. Kim, what are, are there any other positives or any positives in this that were that we're missing in terms of positives in this? Uh, yeah, there there's some there's some nuggets. I mean, um, you know, one of the first 
um, steps to uh, recovery is sort of admitting you have a problem. And there were a few spots in the state of the state where the governor admitted the state has a problem with barriers to entry to business with occupational licensing and formations of corporations. So <clears throat> she's gone um, partway to recognizing this problem and trying to address it. So for instance, Bill mentioned, um, and you know, and this is something maybe the, the other side of out migration is in migration and that's a net number. So right. attracting people here or keeping people here can be important. And one of those ways is to eliminate barriers to entry vis-a-vis licensing. So last year she proposed, for instance, to address the shortage of uh, medical professionals in the state, uh, entering into the interstate uh, physician licensing compact and nursing compact, which is where the state would recognize uh, there's 30 some odd states, part of this compact where you just allow people to come practice in in the state that allows, and that also would allow New York doctors who are part of the compact or nurses to participate via tele medicine out of state. So right. there's a win-win there. Um, she proposed it last year and it fell out of the budget documents and somewhere along the pro- process. So I don't know where the opposition to that was. On the same uh, note with respect to um, the medical professions, uh, she's proposing again to increase the scope of practice for professionals. So um, last year, for instance, the legislature did pass legislation allowing nurse practitioners to practice with a a lesser degree of physician supervision, which allows them to maybe practice in more uh, underserved areas and and, and provide uh, higher services. And so there's a push nationwide to have medical professionals generally be able to 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 work at the maximum scope of their license which they may not do for many of them in new york and as part of the pandemic response there were emergency orders that allowed this sort of thing and allowed people from even canada to come practice medicine here so there's um there's an opportunity there's an opportunity to expand this and go further um you, you know even so far down as cosmetology licenses where she's proposing to lessen the burden you need an, a thousand hours of education to become a cosmetologist you need 300 to shampoo hair um, and it's, it's, you know, you talk about the minimum wage, you talk about opportunities for people. What's a better way for somebody to get started in the business than getting into a salon and shampooing hair without needing 300 hours of course? You've got to be careful when you're shampooing. <laughs> I have another positive. Yes. Yeah. She, I mean, again, because it was in the book and it wasn't in her speech, it's hard to know how much juice she's going to put behind this. But she talked about reforming the so-called certificate of need process. And this is... This is a, a probably most of the public has no idea that this goes on. That thirty years. Ago, but if but you want, if you want to make any significant change in a hospital or a nursing home or a clinic, uh, pretty much any large scale medical provider, you have to go to the health department and ask for a certificate of need, which is basically permission to do it. You have to demonstrate that there is a need. So you have to have a study. You have to your the people who own the project have to pass a kind of a background check. This is a really, it's an opportunity for your competitors to come in and stop you from opening. And it it restrains the supply of medical services in the state. And that means reduced choice and higher costs. 
So any move she would make, if successful, to 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 roll that back, to give to to give people more flexibility to open new healthcare facilities is going to be good for consumers. But she didn't she didn't give a lot of details. You know, on on that note, um, on the certificate of need note, the 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 COVID pandemic highlighted this when ambulances were racing all through New York City in, you know, um, three years ago almost, uh, there was a all-women Hasidic ambulance corps that was not allowed to operate because they had not received opposition to their significant of need application. The state ultimately fixed that, um, but nevertheless, that shows just uh, how how bad the process can be for the public. Uh, one thing that I mean, immediately occurred to me because you mentioned your one of you mentioned the minimum wage, and we, we haven't mentioned that. She had some proposal on the minimum wage, and by the way, by way of background, uh, under Governor Cuomo, the minimum wage in New York was raised to fifteen dollars downstate, initially in New York City. It's now his his budget division that his respect, you know, progressively raised it further upstate. Under, as allowed by legislation, she most recently raised it to over $14 in the bulk of upstate here. Mm. So we already have a pretty high uh, minimum wage by national standards. Only a few states are higher. Mm. What did she propose doing on a minimum wage and how did she justify it? Yeah, and um, EJ, as you know, the federal minimum wage is still seven twenty-five, dollars and, and, and New York's minimum wage has, has, has um, doubled over the past decade right. already. Um, and I, I, we should recognize that there is a proposal in the legislature to raise the minimum wage. I believe it's Jessica Ramos. Uh, it's gotten a lot of attention at um, the last couple of months to raise the minimum wage to $20 an hour and then increase it by inflation. Um, the governor talks about raising the existing minimum wage um, by C attaching it to CPI going forward. Um, which is something that that there are some other states have done that. There's also some evidence that that um, hurts job growth, right. um, not surprisingly. Um, it, in terms of a justification, I, I don't know if she there's like a real economic justification, sort of a political justification that well, it's you know things are getting more expensive, and you know to the extent to the extent that um, expenses are increasing, we need to pay people more so they can pay those expenses without really you know wrestling with the reality that well, but then that. You know, if once you raise the minimum wage, obviously, like in a restaurant, you you raise the restaurant's costs, which can raise prices right. further, and you get into a. She had this line where she said, "As I recall, and you you mentioned this yesterday on social media, where she said, your costs are going up, but we're yeah. going to make sure when costs go up, your wages go up.'" And the unspoken right. part was, "When sure. when when costs wages go, go up, up, we're going to make employer costs go up, and, <laughs> and then your costs are going to go up further." <laughs> So that there was, she had that, and she did acknowledge that there have been widespread expectations of an imminent, if not already, uh, recession that's upon us, an economic yes. slowdown, yeah. uh, and and a disruption in the flow that was projected in her budget. Did she? Is she? It, and she she kind of mentioned it, as if I recall correctly, in the speech. Does she have any other way of dealing with that? Or I I I'm trying to recall if there was any. What's her, what's, does she have any general economic program in general for economic growth or development or? Um, 
No, it's it's very hard to discern a um, a vision in this area as in other areas. And, and and a point I just make with respect to the minimum wage, her proposal being illustrative is in a lot of other areas. There's kind of a common theme where she is she makes she's proposing things along that the legislature wants to do, and she's proposing a partial version. She also proposes here something else that you know could be quite costly to expand um, the child care, publicly subsidized child care to people at to lift the income ceiling. So people of more means than currently can qualify for child care. Uh, Jabari Brisport in the legislature wants universal child care. So, but but what she's doing here, and apparently this will be in her budget if it's consistent with the state of the state, she's raising the floor. And then that's just going to, you know, we know they're going to keep bidding it higher. And what is her rationale for, for doing this in between? What, what vision does it reflect? It's not clear that there is a vision. So the legislature is going to say, why not raise it higher? You agree it needs to be raised. You agree there should be a minimum wage. There should needs to be increased. Why not? increase it to our she's, level she's okay. conceding the issue to them up front putting something on the table right and that's, and, that's, that's and, like this is the opening of a negotiation process right, right? right. this is these are my ideas they're going to come back with their ideas and they're going to try to find a compromise right it's also the state of state speech tends to be the good news right like right. her budget if if there are any cuts to come to offset the new spending she wants yes. to do, that has to be outlined in the budget. But as as Peter just said, if you start off the negotiation and all of your ideas are kind of limited versions of what you think the legislature wants to do, the you're, like, the, the, the compromise is just going to move in the legislature's direction unless you have something over here that you want and they don't want. And I didn't hear anything... Uh, the housing thing might be well, so she if she that. really fights for the housing thing. That's something that'll probably a lot of the legislature won't want to do, depending on what it looks like. Well, she spoke about building eight hundred thousand units of housing and having a a state mandate on localities that they must meet a quota of a certain percentage to allow more more new housing construction than they've been allowed. Mm-hmm. I thought, like, I thought yeah. this was. Uh, in her previous speech about this, which was given, I think, in December, I thought it was interesting because yeah. she emphasized this can't be about money. Right. We already, as a state, we spend a lot of money. Exactly. On she also said it can't be about rent control or rent regulation because she as a that. state, we already do a lot of that. Right. We have to work on the supply side. She, right. Supply side. Yeah. The supply side. Yeah. We have, yeah. have to give, we have to loosen the rules that inhibit right. people from building new housing. She's also talking about a tax credit, which is, you know. But but for the most part, as you say, it is about sort of deregulation. And we have to give her here at least partial credit for recognizing, as Bill says, that the problem, this is not a, a lack of spending. This is an, this is an area where, you know, we need deregulation. Um, there's there's even there's some mention in the press release she put out specifically on this issue about waiving environmental review for certain housing developments. Um, it's not clear exactly how she's going to enforce this. Um, uh, I don't know if I want to call it a mandate, this uh, goal she wants to localities to adopt where around the state, every town and village over the next three years would increase the supply of available housing by 1% and would increase by 3% over three years in areas closer, you know, more downstate MTA where 
um, there is, you know, a lot of available real estate and, you know, zoning is an issue. And indeed, um, I know, you know, EJ and the Empire Center has talked about this, you know, regulatory barriers to housing as a reason for driving up the cost, limited supply and the cost of, of rentals. Seeker in particular. Well, she she alluded to very kind of in a general way alluded to environmental impact. I think she she but did she did. But we have the state environmental, the environmental impact statement. She talked about environmental making impact. Them, making them more uh, efficient and doing them faster. Right, which is kind yes. of just the broadest possible like. Yes. Uh, but because <laughs> we actually have the state environmental quality review act, which by the way, self advertising the Empire Center did a big report on this almost ten years ago. Which is complete, which remains completely relevant um, and timely in every respect because absolutely nothing was done to address the issues of race. Cuomo's people were stepping in the direction and backed off. Um, but we have one of the most stringent environmental quality review laws of any state in the country. Uh, the, that process, the so-called secret process, can be used is can be used quite and has been used quite a lot to block or and or indefinitely delay a whole lot of development, housing and commercial and industrial. And that leaves a lot of unanswered questions about that. But I want to ask another question about regulation before I forget, because it's one of the questions we've gotten from our audience about housing. You and you were talking about how the legislature has a clear agenda in some of these areas, and in some and where she's already sort of conceding to them in housing, at least in a broad way. She wants she's talking about addressing the supply side, which is good. But the fact remains, the legislature is intensely focused on re-regulating and upping the mm-hmm. regulation. And one question is, uh, one of their one of the faves, certainly in the in the Senate among a large cadre of legislators, is the so-called good cause eviction yeah. bill, which essentially means it would make it really difficult to to evict any right. bill. Which, in addition to the to the broader rent control law that the state enacted three years ago, for almost four years ago now, uh, is would be arguably very bad for rental housing supply yeah. in terms of market rate. Did she say, if not in the speech, in the book, did she say anything about the, that subject, which is such a big, this is mentioned constantly by the legislature? I don't believe so. And yeah. I have to confess that I'm not 100% sure. I think it would have got a lot of attention if she yeah. had endorsed right. good cause eviction. As you point out, just for for those who aren't aware, I, the good cause eviction, um, that as as introduced, what the legislative proposal is, is essentially rate run control for right. upstate. Um, and several localities upstate have adopted good cause eviction um, you know, within those individual jurisdictions, I think I think they've also, in some cases, been subject to legal challenge. Right. Um, but but it, it, that's uh, that's something, as you say, that many in the legislature fervently fervently desire and will be pushing for this year. I mean, uh, um, it, it, it's interesting because they've they have a broad you know regulatory agenda. Met, met many members, large critical masses of legislators of progressive caucuses in both houses and really kind of aggressively pursue these agendas. Um, and as we said about the book that the government, the so-called book, we're going to put up and we'll send participants in this discussion and post on the uh, uh, podcast webpage. We'll have a link to the so-called book so you can see all of the details such as they are yourselves and any other work we've done that we mentioned. And I should also mention we uh, we put out a report with a, uh, a broad array of uh, participants called the Next New York a few weeks ago, which is our or a different agenda, not just ours, 
uh, uh, a meatier and denser agenda, if you will, for a lot of these areas, which we'll also post a link to again, nextnewyork.net. And again, to her credit, the mental health, uh, the adding psychiatric beds for serious psychiatric illnesses is something that Steve Ide, or the, Man the Manhattan Institute's uh, very well-known mental health expert, he advocated down the book. Looking at housing as a supply side issue is something that Howard Usock said in the book. Um, there's a few aspects. There's a, some things that were sort of touched upon. Uh, uh, crime, which we've not mentioned, uh, we, but in that book, Raphael Manguel talks about the need for reform of the so-called reform. She sort of took a step in that direction in the book, but uh, which brings up the bigger issue. What what did she say, Bill? As somebody who's uh, aside from, in addition to your all of your detailed healthcare work, you've you've covered the legislature as a, as a reporter and a columnist in the politics and the situation. There's a lot of subtext to what's going on now politically. How did that? What did was that reflected in the speech at all? This tension with the legislature on criminal justice and on her nominee for chief judge, for instance, uh, how was that reflected at all in any of these discussions? It, it, there's there's traditionally a tension between the governor and the legislature, right. and that often plays out in the message, the the state of state speech, where they challenge the legislature, they they uh, implicitly chastise the legislature for not doing certain things, and sometimes they get booed, sometimes right. they get heckled, and that I think actually works for for governors who do it because they're the ones who are standing up for the people against the powers that be in Albany. I didn't see that act, that kind of dynamic in the governor's speech. She's, she has said that she's not, she's a less, um, I'm not, I don't know what the right word is. She doesn't want to be a bully, right? right. She's distancing herself from right. her predecessor, Andrew Cuomo, who was seen as being excessively bullying. So maybe she's going a little too far in the right in the other direction of being too accommodating and too friendly and wanting everybody to get along. And so she I didn't she there are things in her agenda which will be a challenge for the legislature, but she didn't kind of highlight that in her speech. You know, she didn't sort of draw any lines. And an example of that that I thought was very intriguing, that the there's a vacancy on the state's top court, Court of Appeals for the chief judge of the Court of Appeals. This, right. is, this is one of the three or four biggest jobs in state government. Her role is to nominate somebody. She's given a, a list of nominees. She, from, from this nominating commission, she picked the guy just before Christmas, uh, Hector LaSalle. Yeah, Joshua LaSalle, yes. He's come in for all this criticism from progressive groups. I think a dozen or more state senators have declared before even having the hearing that they're going to vote against him. So her nominee for this job is in trouble. She's said strong things about she's going to stick with him and she thinks he's been a victim of character assassination. The legislature was in front of her yesterday. She could have taken them to task for not giving her, her nominee a hearing. She could have made the case for her nominee. She could have rallied the potential supporters. Uh, you know, he he's being caricatured as an extreme right-wing judge, right. which is absurd. He's very mainstream. He's probably left of right. center by most standards. She could have pointed that out. She could have 
you know, taken them right. to school on this guy, and his name didn't even no work the allusions to that or to their zero she just signed. zero. Which, which so she seems to be really averse to that kind of confrontation, and I don't think that's going to work well for her in the long term. You know, a specific question also from one of our uh, listeners is uh, James. For you, when she made this statement that you, that that somehow we're effectively going to cap everybody's utility bills at six percent of their income. Well, for low-income people. For low-income people. If we're going to make sure that nobody who's low-income or whatever that is mm -hmm. pays more than 6% of their income, well, who is going to be footing the bill for yeah. them? I mean, where does that slide to? Uh, she didn't specify that. So, I mean, the the there are three options. One is through uh, ratepayer hikes, uh, where the rest of the ratepayers will pay for it and people get rebates. Uh, another is through rebates via the tax uh, system. Um, but I think most likely what she's thinking about is uh, funds from the cap and invest auctions uh, because she she sort of separates these. So it's not entirely clear. Uh, the, the document wasn't the most well written, perhaps. Um, but she talks about using the some of the proceeds from cap and invest for rebates for low income homeowners uh, in their utility bills. Um, she also talks about using the proceeds from the cap and invest system for a variety of other uh, COCPA-related uh, issues. But then there's concern about what they call in the scoping plan, energy-intensive and trade-exposed industries, those that are likely to flee the state rather than participate in these auctions. Um, and so they're going to give away free uh, emissions allowances to these industries. Semiconductor oh. manufacturing, maybe. Yes, which, which of course, is going to reduce the take they get from these auctions. So how they plan to uh, actually uh, spend as much as they plan to spend when they don't get as much money as they anticipate is it's not, there are no dollar signs attached to any of this. So the auctions are supposed so, to be have this beneficial effect in terms of suppressing emissions and have the also the side benefit for the for the state politicians of creating this slush fund that can be redistributed. Yes. Except not as big as it might be because we make have to make sure that we don't charge enough to affect any business, any right. industry. And keep any businesses. Right. And 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 in, in the in the document, I don't know if she said this in her speech, but in the document it says this will lower consumer cost. Now, how how you raise <laughs> business costs and lower consumer costs is a bit of a mystery to me. Um, but well, they'll uh, have higher minimum wages. To I guess. I guess so. Really, we're gonna. Um, I mean, this the discussion of how things get paid for, and what I said before about her not being confrontational. She did include a line in her speech where she said there will be no increase in income taxes this year, which could be read as, you know, shutting down talk in the legislature among, especially among progressives where there's, there is a lot of sentiment where they want to raise income taxes. And, and when the budget comes out and when deficits start appearing on the horizon and when she starts talking about spending cuts, the pressure for an income tax increase will amplify. So that was, that was uh, a, a line in the sand. She has, she has some ability to enforce that, right? She obviously, she writes the budget and she has veto power over the budget. On the other hand, the legislature has uh, what are called veto-proof majorities. They they technically have enough Democrats to override her her uh, vetoes if they choose. Um, another tax-related issue, which it's kind of funny, it got very little attention. But she's talking about raising the cigarette tax by a dollar, 
about uh, roughly a dollar, about 20%. So it's, it's a pretty big increase in the cigarette tax. I need to look back at the numbers, but my impression is that our, our cigarette tax is so high, it's already more than $4, that you have significant tax evasion. People yes. importing cigarettes from other countries and That's from other states. Yeah. Have a very high to the point where that tax is getting diminishing returns, right? Like you, at some point you raise it high enough, there's so much evasion that you stop getting revenue from the tax. Yes. And I think we've already gotten to that point in New York State. Um, there's some case to be made that, you know, making it that expensive to buy cigarettes inhibits people, especially young people from starting smoking in the first place. But there again, I think there's diminishing returns. If you have a lot of, if tax evasion results in a lot of cheap cigarettes on the streets, you, you get a diminishing return. Well, there's, we're basically, um, from a fiscal standpoint, preferring that they smoke marijuana. <laughs> Historically, these these any increase in the cigarette tax generally flies through, and in fact, the legislature right. might even add to it because they'll they'll I, tell I think, they'll convince themselves that it's going to bring in more money that they can spend. On meanwhile, food. almost every other jurisdiction has has established that the black market continues to thrive when. Is legalized. Yeah, you're, you're, it's products. really raising the tax at this point is subsidizing the black market. And in the past, I don't know if this has continued, but in the past, some pretty nasty people were in the black market, <laughs> including in a couple of cases, terrorists were you, you know, selling black market cigarettes to raise right. money. So, yeah. um, well, I, I, I mean, there's there's so many other aspects of this. I mean, I, I that we could be getting into, but I, I, I continue to be struck um, both by the. It, by the seeming contradiction in the sense, Peter, as you said, she acknowledged, the governor acknowledged that we've had this population drain, which has been going on for a long time. She forgot to say, as the Empire Center has pointed out, yeah. that we, there's only so much time she had. Um, she she acknowledged that, and then and 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 even acknowledged, you know, that we might have a recession coming. But I, the housing was supposed to sort of supposed to be a response. Mm -hmm. New housing construction was supposed to be sort of a response to the population loss, which she attributes entirely to the shortage of affordable housing for the yeah. class. And then the uh, which surely is one is one factor, but not the only one. And then, but there again, I didn't. I'm I'm wondering, was there anything in the speech or the book about? The economy in general, in other words, under in a negative way or a, a, a highly questionable or arguable way, uh, Andrew Cuomo every year would have some gargantuan economic development program. It's what led to and blew up in his face ultimately in some ways. It was starting with the Buffalo Billion. His mm -hmm. second state of the state was the Buffalo Billion, which ultimately led to the part of which led to the indictment and, the, and conviction of his of, uh, our nanotech mastermind and his closest aide. But um, and the solar panel plant in Buffalo, which speaking of reviews of the pandemic, no, but there's no call for reviews of what happened there. Mm -hmm. But she she I did I hear her mention like new computer plants and then just kind of not talk about anything else. What, what was she talking? Did she say anything about the economy? There is about a, the link between that and finances and tax revenue and other things. Uh, very, very little. There, there were there were some like workforce training incentive, what kind of small potato stuff. N nothing, nothing transformational. Um, 
you know, there was just the usual, you know, kind of like a minor grab bag of kind of narrowly targeted um, business incentives. But but again, nothing unusual. And it's worth pointing out that even on the housing, which, again, it it is all in all, it's it's, it's a major proposal, at least what she the change she's seeking. But but it's worth noting that. Um, the 800,000 units that that includes that can include public housing units, and there's she described there's basically some extra points in the formula she refers to in terms of attaining those standards to the extent that you're you're adding public housing units, um, and as we know to you know to the extent that people are going to be and end up moving out of state because they can't find because housing is is is, is hard to find or, or unaffordable here it. it it's generally not people who qualify for for publicly subsidized housing right. are going to be the ones who, well, we're going to go out of state to find more publicly, you know, better publicly subsidized housing. Well, I, if, if I could add, yeah. she did uh, she did talk about kickstarting the green economy, um, and that's supposed to be the consequence of the spending from the uh, emissions auctions. Right. Um, she didn't go into detail, but she was. Referring to such things as uh, spending money on uh, renovating houses and schools and government buildings uh, to be more energy efficient, uh, probably dumping money, more money into uh, renewable energy, although she wasn't specific about that. But she she did use the phrase uh, jumpstart the green economy. So so. Yes, we well, that's a phrase that will, that will fill air when you say that. Yes. <laughs> I, I, by the way, one one of our one of our uh, listeners has point, just pointed out something more than a question is that she said there'd be no increase in income taxes. But speaking of the minimum wage, that she's going to index the minimum wage to inflation, but our income tax is not indexed to inflation. So that, that's so, right. That's right. If you if you were on the edge of your bracket, you're, you're actually your income tax is going to go up automatically with inflation anyway. So you, and as as we've discussed it, it, that is a recommendation Empire Center has made. Right. Um, and obviously, if that if it was adopted when we made it, then, you know, yeah. it, it, it would make yeah, it would have a meaningful impact in light of the rise. Was of state. A, a, for, there was a period of time under Cuomo as part of his deal with the Republican then Republican Senate majority in like 10 years ago. For a few years, the income tax code was indexed for inflation, and then mm-hmm. that was undone as we part should, of the later deal. We should probably clarify: when you say indexing the tax code, you mean indexing the bracket. The bracket. You don't mean right. that. You don't mean right. that the tax rate should go up. No, no. The, the, basically, yeah, it means yeah. that which the federal government did forty years ago is that your the brackets, the, the income brackets that are graduated and progressive, would rise with inflation, which means that you would not. You would be automatically pushed into a higher tax bracket if you income didn't go up. Yeah. Also, this, the this standard a, deduction, which most people actually claim, yeah, would increase with inflation. And, and I did a blog post about this a little while ago to try and illustrate if if it had been. I think we'll put it, this. <laughs> yeah, if the minimum, if the brackets and and the um the deduction had been um tied to inflation, it, it really would have you know it would be me, it would be a meaningful yeah. impact. And we haven't talked a lot about inflation here. Or macroeconomic factors, as again, right. the the governor didn't talk a lot about in her speech about the impact of, of a, potentially of a looming, right. but you know, we could have a significant recession this year. It's obviously a, a massive impact on on state finances, and and it affects the budget, the state budget, large and small. I, I think I may have mentioned earlier that in foundation aid, 
again, one of the biggest, single biggest line items in the state budget. School aid. Of school aid, right. The biggest element of school aid, one of the biggest line items in the budget is about $25 billion. Um, a few years ago, both, both Cuomo and then Governor Hochul had, had gotten on board with this idea of, quote, fully funding this foundation aid formula. And it was supposed to cost a certain amount, according to those projections. And then in light of recent inflation, we now find that in order to follow through on this promise in the coming budget, it's going to cost an additional, for the one year alone, it's going to cost an additional $800 million because of inflation. And so, so again, inflation is increasing the cost of a lot of things. That's just one example in the budget. And yet, um, you know, the, how, how we're going to, it's not necessarily increasing the revenues. And Well, let's to wrap up here, because now we're going to look ahead and, you know, sort of prediction time or what we what might be expected, what one is led to expect from this. So the budget is due out by February 1st. It's later after a gubernatorial election under the Constitution. So on or before February 1st, she has to present an executive budget. Um, based on what we saw yesterday, we go around starting with, with, with you, Cam, in the areas you looked at. What what do we think, given the tone and and the substance of, of what she had to say yesterday on the issues you follow and on issues in general, what is the outlook for Governor Hochul as an executive and as somebody what what to the extent she has a vision, what what do we can we expect to see in the next few months? Uh, here in Albany, you know, it, as far as what I've pointed out with respect to the occupational licensing and and streamlining things for business and so on, I think at best you might get some administrative executive uh, biting around the edges. If she puts anything in the budget docs, I expect them to come back out if they get any sort of opposition. I think she's really uh, just dipped her toe into this area and hasn't shown to me, a willingness to kind of, you know, pocket veto salaries to get something in exchange or, or as Bill pointed out, really take the legislature to task on her chief judge. So um, there's some ideas that have been thrown, they're going to get tossed. And James, in the energy area, you've already written a lot about how feasible a lot of this is and how, in fact, you've made the point and you're not the only ones. It's just not, this is actually up beyond a certain point, not actually feasible. The goals of the client CLCPA, and as she's doubled down on that, do you is you get any sense that there will be any pulling back in the in the, in the near future from from this agenda and its implications for the economy? Or? No, in fact, uh, she's proposing to have uh, things done uh, as a as a climate action council. They're proposing to have as much of it as possible done uh, bureaucratically through regulatory rulemaking. Uh, so we can avoid some of the difficulties of statutory uh, legislative uh, you know, lawmaking, keep the public a little bit more out of the loop, um, and, and keep moving full steam forward. Uh, and we have the New York Independent System Operator, and NISO is, is out there, and they're kind of repeatedly yelling in a nice, polite, bureaucratic tone of voice, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to work. Um, and they're just accused of scaremongering, and it's uh, the group that runs the electric grid. The groups that runs interest, other than keeping the right, flow. the ones that are most right. responsible for the reliability uh, of electricity coming into your homes and businesses is the right. one that's most worried, and they're not being listened to. Um, Peter, just 
I'm uh, briefly, we only have a couple yeah. of minutes yet, but do you, what would your overview be pessimistic, <laughs> optimistic? My, my biggest takeaway is the lack of takeaways. I think I would say in this state of the state is it, it's her second state of the state, but the one she gave last year was, you know, let's face it, she had an election in front of her right. and, you know, some uncertainty and she, you know, was trying to get through the year, get past the election. This was her opportunity. If there was a vision to unveil, this is it. First year of a brand new term, right at the outset. This is when you've got the political capital. You've got, and and it's just not there um, apparently. And so, I to me, that just means the legislature is going to drive things. And so, you know, that's going to be the story for the next few years, including on spending. I mean, that I mean, whether that is the scenario plays out will be determined in the next few months. Like, That'll set the tone of the whole thing. Does her Court of Appeals nominee get confirmed or rejected? If, if it's a rejection, she's weakened. Yeah. Does her budget draw any lines? Does it get passed? Does she get over, you know, does she veto? Does she get overridden? We're all, we're going to know the answer to those questions sometime in early April. Or, I mean, that's what I would guess. And whether she can carve out a space as a strong governor who's going to lead and direct the state and and corral things in Albany, that's, you know, that's what we're going to find out in the next few weeks. Well, um, so that's the uh, that's the somewhat, I think, pessimistic outlook we have based on what we, <laughs> on what we saw yesterday. We hope you'll keep up with all of the Empire Center's output and, output and analysis of these state issues as time goes on. We, there's a lot to, to talk about in this. We hit I think most of the high or most of the main important points, and we, we're going to keep looking at them in the future. And uh, for now, uh, uh, thank you very much for being with us, and we look forward to sharing more with you in the future. And thanks, and have a good day and a good week. For more news and analysis, visit our website and sign up for email updates at empirecenter.org. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Empire Center.